You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Good morning. It's great to see everybody. Like Dale said, my name is um, Elliot. I'm the Connection Pastor here, and we are in a series of messages that we've titled Work Ethic. And over the last few weeks, we've been exploring this topic. We've looked at um, why is there work that we do? Why isn't life just kind of one endless vacation? But why has God given us work to do. And in that uh, message, we talked about how work is actually a gift. Work is an important way that God invites us to join him in the good that he's doing throughout the world. So then we asked the question, okay, well, if work is a gift, then what is the work that we need to do? What is it that we are, what are the things that God wants us to do? And we looked at everything from, from business to um, farming to construction, to healthcare, to education, to entertainment, white-collar jobs, blue-collar jobs, you name it, the, the wide spectrum of work that we can do, God wants to use that to bring good into the world, to bless people. It's not just work that you do for a church, work that's obviously, you know, people say, oh, well, that's the, God, the, the work that God wants to use to bless people, but it's, it's really anything that we do. God wants to use us. He's equipped us and wants to use us to bring blessing. And because of that, what that means is work is a noble task. Now, my guess is that you have probably had experiences at work that you really enjoyed. I know for me, um, in my history of working, there's one job that comes to mind. I was um, working for a company. We did, um, we distributed computer components. And so the the area that I oversaw was a lab. We would inspect the parts that would come in, and then we would prepare them to be ship, shipped out. And so we would go through this inspection process and make sure we didn't damage the parts, but make sure it was, in fact, what we had ordered, and then prepare them to go out to the customer. And when I got hired to this job, the um, department that I oversaw, I was in a management position. The department that I oversaw, there was a, a really big backlog that they had. And because of that, what that meant was the company was losing money because of the backlog. And then also, the people that were in my department, they regularly had to work long, extensive hours just to kind of get the basic, kind of critical, urgent tasks done. They really weren't able to get ahead of things. So I was brought in, and um, I was hired, and they, one of the things they wanted me to do was to kind of help solve this backlog problem. And so I um, worked with some other people. We made some goals. We made some changes. And actually, before we expected to achieve our goal, we eliminated the backlog, we helped the company get more profitable, and then we got so far ahead of tasks that regularly on Fridays, I was able to say to the people in my department, hey, we're ahead of schedule, why don't you go ahead and take the day off early and go home to be with your family? When I think back on that project that I got to do, that still brings a lot of joy to me. I really, really enjoyed that. I enjoyed getting in there, analyzing the problem, figuring out the different pieces, the different departments that were going on, asking the question, what are the things that we need to change? And then I remember the meeting where I was told that, well, actually the company is now more profitable because of the way that the department that you oversee is run. I remember that meeting, and that, that, that was a very fulfilling meeting for me. I really enjoyed that. Now, what's interesting about that job is I would also describe that job as the worst job that I ever had. And largely, it was because of the um, leadership style in the company. They used fear to motivate people to get them to do what they wanted them to do. So I remember on Sunday night, Sunday night would come around, and I would go to bed, and I would just lay there and be like, I have no idea 
what awaits me tomorrow morning. And I would wake up, and there was a set time that I was supposed to be in, and I would get in before the rest of the people in my department would get in. But I would go in even earlier because I was like, I just I don't know what, what's going to happen. I don't know what happened over the weekend, what email was sent, what problem came about. So I would go in. I remember when I first started, I didn't even want to take a lunch break because if I took a lunch break, I would come back from the lunch break, and inevitably there was some urgent, pressing thing that came up and because I wasn't there, oh, we weren't able to do it, Elliot, because you were out getting your lunch break. Or even vacations. I remember uh, asking for time off. And they had to give me a time off. I mean, they had an HR department, so they had to give you your vacation. But you just felt so guilty about it. It was like, I mean, how can you take time off? We have so many important things that we need to do. We're going to struggle. The company's not going to meet its goals because you're on vacation. You know, you're going to be having fun, and we're going to be... And so it just created this really, really negative. It was, like, kind of oppressive. I remember uh, one friend at the time, I described my job this way to him. I said, I feel like I go into the office, they attach a vacuum hose to my soul, they drain me of life for 10 hours, and then I go home and try to recover so I can go back the next day and do it all over again. So while there were parts of the job that I really enjoyed as a whole, I hated that job. And this tension of good and bad, this is a reality of work. There's negative and there's positives when it comes to our work. There's good and there's bad. And I think this is one of the reasons that our attitude about work is what it is. Recently, I heard Adam Hoover, one of the uh, volunteer leaders here, he gave a talk on work. And he um, pointed to some trends that kind of reveal some of the desires, some of the attitudes that we have about work. Actually, the trends, you can see them for yourself on Google searches. One of them was the um, trend in the search for a four-day work week. Now, I'm not making a value statement. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a four-day work week. I'm not saying it's good or it's bad, but it points to a desire, a, a growing desire that we have. Another a trend that you can see in Google searches is the search for basic income. Basic income is you collect a paycheck from the government without doing anything. Other things that you can see on um, trends are searches for how do, I, how do I get paid to be me? What, what do I just have to do so that I get money to be me, just, just for living? And you see these things growing, but what these point to is these point to attitudes towards work that we have. Another thing that we looked at in the series is um, the term quiet quitting which quiet quitting is one of the things where we just do the base minimum. Whatever the minimum is to get by, that's what we do. The base requirement to get by in our job, that's kind of the standard that we work at, quiet quitting. And you, you start to add these things up, and increasingly work is seen as little more than a means to an end. It's kind of a, it's a necessary evil. It's something that we, we have to put up with. We, we know that we have to do it. We've got to put up with it. We want to try to figure out how to get out of it. But viewing it as a gift from God, something good that he's given us, something that we should be grateful for, rarely do we view work that way because it's this necessary evil. It's just something that we have to do. So this morning what we're going to do with our time is I want to look at two things that block gratitude. And these two things that we're going to look at these are things that we can choose not to do. These are things that we regularly do and they block our gratitude, but we can choose not to do these things. And I want to look at things that we can choose not to do because often what ends up happening is we, 
we look at the circumstances or we look at the actions of other people and we say, well, that's the problem. That's why I struggle with my work, because of those things. And we overlook our role. We overlook the things that we have control over. So this morning, we're going to look at two things that block our gratitude, two things that we can stop doing. Here's the first thing. Number one, comparison blocks gratitude. Comparison blocks gratitude. Comparison happens when we start looking at what other people get. We see what they get. We're comparing. We see that it's not the same, and then we say, hey, why isn't this equal? Why isn't this fair? Why isn't this the same? In our house, this happens quite frequently. My wife and I, we've got four kids, and you, I can almost predict that it's going to happen. I'll, you know, we'll have ice cream. We'll do something fun with the kids, and we'll do ice cream, and we'll you know, put it in the bowls and put them out on the counter, and then they'll come in, and they'll um, get their ice cream, and it's got the toppings on it. And you just kind of know what they're going to say. They're going to say, hey, why does she have more chocolate than I have? Or why is, why is his scoop bigger than the scoop that I got? They just they go into comparison mode. And they, they compare when they think that the other person got something better than them. When they think that the other person got something better or something that they want, then they start to say, hey, this isn't fair. This isn't equal. It's not the same. And it is interesting to me that my kids rarely compare when they think the other person got something worse. They just, they're quiet. They don't say anything. Hey, something that I don't hear is, you know, we're cleaning the house. You know, we, we assign the chores and we assign the tasks. And, you know, and then the next day, one of the kids comes and says, you know, Dad, Yesterday, you gave my sister, you gave her a harder job than I had. It, was, it took longer, she had to focus more, it was a dirtier job. We were all outside playing and she was still working. Dad, next time that we have to clean the house, would you make sure that it's fair? Would you make sure that I have the hard job? Because I want it to be the same. When, it, when we perceive that the other person got something less than us, we, we don't really want to pay attention to that. But if they got something better, well then that's where we start to compare. We look around, who got something better? Who got something that I want? And then we start to compare and we start to say, hey, it's not equal. There's a story of somebody doing this in the Bible. It's in the book of John. It's one of the biographies about Jesus' life. And there's an interesting interaction between Jesus and Peter that John records in his book. And what happens is, is Peter, Peter is the most prominent disciple after after Jesus returned to heaven, Peter would go on to be the leader of the disciples. But before Jesus went to the cross, Peter actually denies Jesus. The night before there's the trial, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, somebody says, hey, aren't you one of his followers to Peter? And Peter's like, he essentially walks away. He's like, no, I, I don't have anything to do with that man. I don't know what you're talking about. So he turns his back on Jesus in the most critical hour right before Jesus goes to the cross. So after this takes place, Peter, who was the leader, the outspoken one, turns his back on Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross, dies for sin, comes back from the grave, proving that he can conquer death. And then Peter and Jesus sit down and they have this conversation. And in this conversation, Jesus tells Peter what he can expect as he heads into the future. And John records this. This is what's written in John chapter 21, starting in verse 18. It says, Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So in other words, he's saying, Peter, life's going to get really, really hard. 
there's going to be things that happen that you don't want to experience. But this is how you're going to glorify me. Another way of saying that is, this is the best thing that could happen to you, Peter. This is the best thing because this is going to bring me glory. So then he follows it up and he says, Peter, follow me. In other words, keep your eyes on me. If you're going to follow somebody, you've got to keep your eyes on them. Peter, pay attention to me. Keep your eyes on me. Very next verse is what Peter does. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. That's a reference to John. Saw that John was following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. This is fascinating what Jesus does here. He doesn't give an explanation. He doesn't say, well, Peter, here's what I'm going to do in in John's life, and here's what I'm going to do in your life. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't justify it. He doesn't say, well, Peter, here's why you're going to experience this, and here's why John's going to experience that. He doesn't explain, and he doesn't justify. He actually gives an extreme scenario. He says, what if I want him to be immortal? What if he never dies? What if I have him stay alive until I return? What does that have to do with you? It doesn't have anything to do with you, Peter. Your job isn't to look at him. Your job is to look at me. Peter, your job is to follow me. That's what Jesus is telling Peter. Peter, don't compare. Keep your eyes on me. Here's the big reason why comparison only causes problems. The big reason is God has a unique plan and assignment for your life. God is not into uniformity. He has a unique plan and assignment for your life. God hasn't set out to make sure that everybody gets the same thing or everyone has the same experiences or even that everyone has the same opportunities. That's not what God's after. God customizes life. And when it comes to our work, he gives us jobs to do. And so he gives us strengths and abilities and even interests And he wants us to take those things and apply them in our work to bring blessing. So the strengths and the abilities that he gave you are different than the strengths and the abilities that he gave me. The path that he has for you, it's not the same path that he has for me. The assignment for you, it's not the same assignment as for me. We look around and we start to compare. We start to make kind of value statements of, oh, well, that thing that they're doing is more important than this thing over here. Or even, you know, the the work that I'm doing is more important than the work that we're doing over there. And we start to compare and we start to make all these value statements of which one's better or which one's more significant. And God doesn't do that. God looks at both of them and says, they're unique. I have a different plan for this person than for that person. They're different assignments. But both of them are going to be used by me to bring good. So we, we start to compare, and God just, he, he doesn't do that. That's not how he works. He didn't set out to make it all the same. He has a unique plan and assignment for your life. So when you start to compare, and you start to see what other people got, and you take your eyes off God's path, what ends up happening is if you let your eyes wander long enough, and you choose to allow your heart to compare. Comparison's a choice. You choose to let your heart compare. The outcome is you're going to start to blame God. You're going to say, God, this isn't fair. Why won't you make it fair? It's not the same. It's not equal. Why won't you make it equal, God? 
he never said he's going to do that. His plan and assignment for you is different than that for another person. All comparison does is it gets you to take your eyes off the path God has for you. And if you start to compare, especially when it comes to your work, you're going to lose focus on the responsibilities that God's given you. And if you stop focusing on the responsibilities that God's given you, then what's going to happen is the impact that God wants to result from your work, the satisfaction that you could get out of it, the success that you could achieve, the character growth you could experience, the sense of joy for diligently doing the task God's given you to do, all of that, it'll be lost. Because instead of having a firm grip on your responsibilities and doing it the way that God wants you to do it, your eyes are wandering, you're looking around saying, hey, why isn't this fair? Well, God didn't set out to make it fair. He gave you a unique assignment. It's different than somebody else's assignment. And he doesn't sit there and say one's more important than the other. He says, I'm going to use both of them to bring good and to bring blessing. All comparison does is it blocks gratitude, gets us to stop focusing on our responsibility, and we lose our grip on what God wants us to do. Comparison blocks gratitude. That's the first one. Second thing is wrong expectations block gratitude. Wrong expectations block gratitude. Notice I didn't say expectations block gratitude. It's not expectations that are the problem. It's having wrong or inaccurate expectations, expectations that don't line up with reality. And we've all experienced the consequences of having expectations that are too high. You know, I, I can think of multiple movies that I've been to where you go to the theater and you think, man, this is going to be just two hours. It's going to be a captivating story. It's going to be good acting. I'm going to be entertained. I'm going to walk away and I'm just going to be satisfied that I sat there for two hours and watched this movie. And you go in and you watch it and then you walk out and you're like, where do I get my money back? That was a terrible movie. And I've thought to myself, I've been in that situation multiple times. I've actually, I'm, I'm the person that's, I've walked out of movies. I've just been like, you know what, I'm just not even going to sit here for two hours. I'm just going to get up and, lo- and leave. I know I've paid, but... And I, I ask myself, is it, is it because the movie was really that bad or because my expectations for the movie were just too high? So we've all experienced kind of the consequences of kind of misplaced expectations, expectations that are too high. So then, then what we hear people say from time to time is, well, just if you just didn't have any expectations, then it would be good. But if you try to do that, you realize, well, that's just impossible. No matter how many times you hear people say it, it's not possible to go through life with no expectations. So then we think, okay, well, if, if really, really high expectations result in me being disappointed and no expectations is impossible, I'll just have low expectations. Maybe if I have low expectations, if I don't expect anything good to happen, then if anything does happen, well, then I can be grateful. But if you start to do that, what's going to happen is that's going to become a way of life and you're going to become a negative, sour person. And you don't want that. God doesn't want that. And the rest of us don't want that. So what, what are the expectations that we can have, especially when it comes to our work? What can we expect out of the work that we have? I mean, probably the most common answer is a paycheck. And I, that's, that's fair, actually. That's realistic. If you agreed to do this work and get paid that amount, then it's realistic to say, okay, for the work that I've done, I'm going to receive that payment. That's a realistic expectation. And for a lot of people, that's the only thing they expect out of their work. And that's why it's kind of this necessary evil, 
or this thing to get out of because it's like, I mean, I'm only here for the money. So like the faster you can give me the money, the faster I'm gone. But is there more that we can expect out of our work? I want to give you a list, a few more things you can expect out of your work. And I'm going to warn you, the first thing on the list is something that nobody wants to see on the list. <laughs> Here's the first thing you can expect out of your work. You can expect work to be hard. And I think no matter how long you've been working, no matter what age you are, this consistently surprises us. You can expect your work to be hard. Genesis chapter 3 details how sin entered the world. The first two chapters of Genesis talk about God creating the world, God creating Adam and Eve, sending them to work in the garden. And then in chapter 3, sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, one of the consequences is related to work. This is what it says, Genesis 3, starting in verse 17. It says, Adam is, God is talking to Adam. So God says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground. The Hebrew word here, this Genesis was originally written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for painful toil means that something is hard, that it's painful, that it causes distress. So what that means is, even if you find your dream job, the job that you've worked hard for, the job that you're passionate about, you wake up early in the morning because you just can't wait to show up at work. Even if you find your dream job, you cannot escape this reality that work is hard. At some point, you're going to experience injustice. Stuff is going to happen on the job that is going to hurt. You're going to face situations that are confusing dilemmas that you don't know how to solve, problems that no matter how much you devote your mind or you get input on these problems and how to figure them out, you're not going to be able to figure them out. You're going to lose sleep because of stuff that happens on your job. This is a reality of work. Work is hard. But thankfully, it's not the only reality to work. It's not the only thing we should expect. Another thing you can expect from your work you can expect God to grow your character and prepare you for what's next. In the midst of the hard, what God is doing in the midst of the hard, in the midst of the painful toil, God will grow your character and prepare you for what's next. There's a man in the Bible, his name's David, King David, and he is the greatest king in Israel's history. And under his reign, he brought a tremendous amount of blessing to the people. There's a summary verse about his life and how he became king and the type of king that he was in the book of Psalms, chapter 78. This is what it says. It says, he, talking about God, God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. What this is talking about is David's path from where he was to becoming king. And it also talks about the kind of king that David was as he led the people. Now, it's interesting to ask the question, well, what's the normal path to becoming king? And what is involved in, what's the training that you would want to go through if you were to become a really good king? And if you think about the normal path, well, what's the normal path to becoming king? Well, you're born into the royal family. You're the son of the king. You're a prince. 
you're the next in line to the throne, so you're a firstborn or something happens to an older sibling. That's the path. I mean, it's a very specific. Only a few people get on that path. And then you ask the question, well, what does it take to be a really good king? Well, you're going to be raised in the, in the royal courts. You're going to get a front row seat to decision making. You're going to receive the best education. You're going to be taught rhetoric, diplomacy, history, leadership, military strategy. You're going to have the opportunity to debrief decision making that takes place, figure out what did we decide, why did we decide it, how did it work out, would we do it differently next time. You would just get the best training possible in order to be a good king. But that is not the path and that is not the training plan that David got. David wasn't born into the royal family. He wasn't the firstborn. He had a bunch of older brothers. He didn't receive the best education. He wasn't raised in the courts of the king. But it says that he was a great king. He had integrity of heart and skillful hands. So then we got to ask the question, well, where did the integrity of heart and the skillful hands that made him a great king, where did that come from? Well, it came from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep the lowly, ordinary task that nobody else wanted to do. The reason he had to do that task is because he was the youngest brother. He essentially was the runt. And so he got the job that nobody else wanted. But that was the training plan and the path that God had for him. Nobody would have predicted that. Nobody would have predicted, okay, if you, if you go to work as a shepherd doing this task that nobody wants to do, that's where God's going to shape your character and prepare you for the most important assignment in the kingdom, being the king. But that's the path that God took him on. That's how God shaped his character and prepared him for what was next. And God's doing the same thing in our work. And notice how it says in the passage, how it gives credit to God all along the way. It says he, it's talking about God, he chose David. He took him. He brought him. At the beginning, David would have had no idea. He's just a shepherd. He's out in the fields. He's not thinking, oh, someday I'm going to be king. His dad's not thinking, oh, someday he's going to be king. They're not thinking, hey, let's do this. But all along the way, God is using those tasks that other people are overlooking to shape his character and prepare him for what's next. So what that means for you and me is even if the task that we're doing seems pointless, even if you feel like you're not fulfilling your potential, the reality is, is the assignment that you have right now is a place where God wants to train you. He wants to shape your character. He wants to prepare you for what's next. Even if you can't see what's next, even if you don't know what's next, God's still in that moment using the work that you're doing, the pointless, overlooked, medial task, the task that, oh, I just hate doing this task. God's shaping you. If this reality becomes true for you, if it moves from just, oh, okay, an idea to something that actually shows up in the way you do your work, this will transform the way that you do your work. If all you think is, well, work's just going to be hard, that's it. I had a boss one time, and he used to say, life is hard, and then we die. And he would say that at work. We'd be at work, we'd encounter something, and he'd just go, life is hard, and then we die. And we're all like, well, now we're so uninspired. Why don't we just go home, you know? But if this is your mentality of like, you know what? It is hard. But even though I don't know how it's going to work out, God's using this hard right now to shape me. He's using this to prepare me for something. 
instead of just being in it for yourself and doing the bare minimum, suddenly this will inspire your work. It'll transform the way that you do your work. And as you go through these really hard seasons of work, instead of just, oh, I just got to grin and bear it and get through it, you'll say, I think God's doing something here. So God, would you help me? Would you help me to rely on you instead of relying on myself? You'll start relying on God in the moment. And over time, the blessings will flow. This is a reality of work. God is going to use your work to train you and prepare you for what's next. You can expect this. Another thing you can expect from work. You can expect work to meet your need to do something productive. We have a need, a built-in need from God, to do something productive with our lives. Work is one of the key ways that that need is met. Have you ever pulled up to a stoplight and it's red and you're stopped there and a cyclist pulls up next to you and they don't want to unclip their pedals so they're doing kind of that like that wobble thing you know on their bike they're trying to balance and they're going back and forth and you're watching them and you're like it's only a matter of time either the light's going to turn and they're going to be able to go or they're just going to have to unclip and put their foot down. The reason that they're doing that awkward wobble thing on their bike is because the bike was made to move. And so when they're stationary, it's just kind of this weird balancing act. Something that I've experienced in my life and then I've seen in a lot of other people's lives is how oftentimes work really helps life start to come together. Through the years, I've had the opportunity to help a lot of young guys. Guys, will, I'll, be, I'll be meeting with them or working with them, connecting with them. And they'll be, you know, trying to figure out, how do I make sense of things? How do I make these big decisions? How do I figure out what I'm supposed to do? And they'll be asking these questions and trying to make sense of different things. And often what I've told them is I'll say, hey, I, you're probably not hearing this from a lot of different places, but I think you need to go get a job where you work 40 hours a week. It doesn't really matter what it is. Just go get one and just start working. And it's amazing how many times as they've gone to work and put in a full week, how different parts of their life just start to come together. And the reason is, is because they were made to work. And so as they get moving, as they start meeting this fundamental need that they have to do something productive, all different areas of life start to fall into place. Not because they waited until their dream job dropped in their lap, but they just went to work. And stuff started to sort itself out. And not only have I seen it in other people's lives, I've experienced it in my own life. And I also know it's not just true for 18 and 25-year-olds. I know it's true if you're 65, 75, 85. We were made to work. Even if you don't have to collect a paycheck anymore, this need to do something productive with your life God built this into you. It's part of being made in his image. God is always at work. And part of being made in his image means that we have this need to do something productive. You can expect work to meet that need. Another thing that you can expect, you can expect a reward. This is the first thing we want on the list. And usually the only thing we want on the list. We want the reward for the work. And I'm not just talking about a paycheck. This is actually bigger than a paycheck. This is a reward from God. I remember a time in work when I was facing a task, a challenge that I really didn't want to do. It felt like all risk, no reward. 
felt like I was putting my neck out there. People weren't going to recognize it. But if it went poorly, it was all going to kind of come back on my head. So as I was facing this task, all I kept thinking was, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. And then before I set about the task, I took a minute. I sat down. There were um, two verses that I had memorized. I had a sticky note at my desk. And so I wrote the verses out on the sticky note. And I'm, I'm tactile and visual, so it kind of helps me to write it out and to kind of think through it. And I circled some, um, some of the words and wrote some ideas. It, it took me a very short amount of time. I did this, and I said about my work. These are the verses. It's um, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So I wrote those verses down, and then I said about my work. What these did for me is they set my perspective. Even if nobody else recognized the work that I did, who would see it? God would. He would recognize it. Even if nobody else came and said, hey, Elliot, great job. You, I, can, I know that you put in hours. You took a risk. You, you really did that with excellence. Even if it was completely underlooked, even if somebody came up and said something negative about it, God would see it for what it was. And what does God promise? He promises to reward. And actually, I, I wrote this down. I was thinking of this when I thought through the verse was, well, when do you get the reward? Well, it's the reward of the inheritance. So it's, it's completely received when we get to heaven. But there's actually parts of that reward that we get in this life. And I don't know exactly what it's going to look like or how we're going to get it. But I want that reward. That reward actually motivates me. So instead of just, oh, okay, well, I'm going to do it with excellence because the boss is around, or I'm going to do it with excellence because if I do, then I'm going to get a pay raise. It's, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do this at a certain standard because I believe God sees it, and I believe that God gives a reward. I can actually expect that. So it says, whatever you do, what's included in whatever you do? I ask my kids this all the time. Anytime the Bible says, like, whatever you do in anything, all circumstances, I'm like, what's included in that? Everything. Anything. It's not just a church job. Anything. What, whatever you do. Do your work. It says heartily. The idea is go all out. Do it with excellence. Take the time that you have and the resources available to you and do the best job you can. And what does it say will happen? It says God will reward. That's a pretty powerful incentive. You can expect that from your work. You set about doing your work the way that God wants you to do your work, even if nobody else recognizes it, even if your boss doesn't give you a pay raise, even if somebody comes along and makes some snide, passive-aggressive comment about the work that you're doing. If you're doing it the way that God wants you to do it, you can expect a reward from your work. So these are just a few of the things that you can expect. There's actually more. There's more you can expect from your work. But the point is, if you go into your work and you either have, you have wrong expectations or expectations that are really low and you expect nothing from your work, then sustained gratitude for the amazing gift that God has given you, the work that he's given you to do, you're not going to be grateful for it because your expectations are wrong. But if you go into your work and you realize that it's going to be hard, we live in a world impacted by sin. 
we're broken. The people around us are broken. Work is hard. If you go into your work and you realize that work is hard, but in the midst of the hard, God is going to grow your character and he's going to prepare you for what's next. He has another assignment for you in mind. He, he wants you to grow and develop. If you realize that in the midst of the hard, even if it doesn't make sense to you and you can't see it, he's doing something. And then you realize that even in the midst of the hard where I can't see the path ahead, I have this really fundamental need to do something pr- productive, and God is meeting that need through my work. You realize that. And then you realize that, okay, and if I do it the way he says to do it, there's going to be a reward. If that's what you expect, okay, well, now you've got a chance to be grateful for your work because now you're starting to see it for what it is. Your expectations aren't off and wrong, but your expectations are based on what God says you can actually expect this from your work. So as we wrap up, I've got a couple gratitude recommendations that I want to give you. Think of these like next steps. The first one, first thing I'd recommend, identify where you're comparing. Where are you comparing? Where in your job? Who, who, are, who are you comparing your work with? Who do you look at their work and you think, it's not fair. It's not fair that they get to do that. It should be the same. It should be equal. Where are you comparing? And actually what I would do, if you identify a place where you're comparing, I would actually confess that to God. I would say, God, I'm comparing the assignment that you've given me with the assignment that you've given to somebody else. And because of that, I'm not focusing on my responsibilities. So God, would you help me to focus on the responsibilities that you've given me, the work that you have for me? So identify where you're comparing. Another thing is thank God for what you can expect from work. You know, maybe later today, I just gave you four things that you can expect from work. Maybe later today, maybe tomorrow morning before you start your work. I did it earlier this week. I sat down and I made a list. And I started with work is hard. And actually what I wrote was, God, thank you for telling me that work is going to be hard. So I don't have to consistently be surprised when it's hard. That's a really good thing. And then, God, thank you for growing my character. And I tried to think of past jobs and the ways that God has grown me and prepared me for the job that I have now. And he's still doing that. So just work through that list and thank God. And the final thing I'd recommend is I'd recommend that you memorize Colossians 3, 23, and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily with all your heart as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. I'd recommend you memorizing that verse. And then as you go into your work, remind yourself of that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the work that you've given us. I thank you that the work is meaningful, that it adds value to our lives and to the lives of other people. I thank you that the work can have an eternal impact, that it's one of the ways that you bring blessing into the world. So God, I pray that we would view this gift for what it is, as a gift, and the result of receiving the gift would be gratitude instead of comparing that leads to complaining or instead of wrong expectations that leads to us being disappointed or sour. Father, I pray that we would thank you for the gift and the way that we do our work would reflect that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.